So, for those of you who haven't seen Bleach, although, God, um, I, Bleach is one of the big three. I'm just going to ignore if you haven't seen Bleach, because if you're this deep in and you're listening to a podcast about anime like mine, you've seen Bleach. Like, even if you tried to not see Bleach, Bleach has happened to your eyeballs, and you've been like, oh, that, that must be that Bleach thing. That must be that thing from that guy, Taikobu, who just draws crazy shit. Um, and so, Bleach is, just in case you're not familiar with it, although I can't imagine you aren't, the basic storyline of Bleach is that there exist two worlds. And this is also important for the movie itself, which we'll get into in a second. But there are two worlds. There is the normal human world, and there is the soul, soul society. And the way that Bleach proposes dying work is that when you die, you basically uh, there's a chain that links your soul to your body. When you die, the chain is broken. And you get transported from the... Your soul gets transported from the human world to the soul society. However... The Soul Society doesn't always get new people. New people sometimes stay behind. And occasionally, new people will be tossed into, like, a version of hell. I forget exactly what the hollows come out of. But basically, a soul will fester and want to become... And a soul will fester in its regret and turn into a hollow Big, big giant monster thing with a mask. And in this show, at least originally... Now, originally is the important thing. We meet a Soul Reaper, who is someone who is from the Soul Society, and their job is to guide souls from the living world to the Soul Society. We meet this young girl named Rukia, and Rukia is a soul reaper. One thing happens, and then another, and all of a sudden, this kind of boisterous asshole kid who means well, stop me if you've heard it before, ends up becoming a soul reaper. And and this kid is named Ichigo, and what's unique about Ichigo is that he has the ability, as just a normal human, to see spirits to see dead people. He is like asshole orange haired Macaulay Culkin. Uh, um or um Haley Joe Osmond rather from the Sixth Sense, basically. And normally he just ignores them, but every once in a while he'll occasionally like do something nice for a soul for like a wayward soul or something like that. But all of a sudden he's has to deal with this hollow and he becomes a soul reaper, and he becomes this, like, badass soul reaper with this giant sword. And... That's kind of the premise, and the rest of it, the rest of the show, if you've never seen it, if you've never seen, if you've never seen Bleach, my recommendation is to watch exactly the first arc. I'm not sure how many seasons it is, but the first arc of Bleach. And then stop. I don't care if you want to watch the rest. I don't care if you're like, Whoa, that guy's evil now. I need to know what happens. Don't. Don't do it. It's not worth it. You have so much life to live. (laughs) And the reason why I say that is the reason why I specifically want to talk about um, Memories of Nobody is that Bleach does some things amazingly well. It does some things incredibly well. It's the reason it ran for an untold amount of episodes and stupid amounts of filler arc. It's the reason why it was a Shonen Jump property that was popular enough to be one of the big 
three, let's call it. And when I say the big three, I mean... Actually, the big four, let's call them, because you kind of can't have one piece not be in the conversation. By the big four, I mean Bleach, which were the Memories of Nobody movie we're talking about today. Naruto, Dragon Ball Z, and One Piece are the big four, like, original badass Shonen Jump anime. Anybody who tells you, like, what one of those four isn't, is fucking insane. I promise you. I promise you. But, <laughs> the reason why Bleach was so popular is because it does a few things flawlessly. And it, it knows, and also, and the other reason, and actually the three reasons that it's popular. The, the first one is that it does a few narrative arcs flawlessly, and it knows that it does them well, and eventually does them to exhaustion, basically. Um, second, Taikobu's design sense, in terms of, like, de character design and world design, is off the charts. In the same way that, like, it, it, he, he makes things that feel like a pop art version of reality, basically, with tons of mystical bullshit dumped on top, and you get this feeling, and um, you can actually listen to Super Eyepatched Wolf, Super Eyepatch Wolf, um, video on the fall of Bleach to get a better background of Taikobu, but basically, he draws really cool, insane, like, fantastical, pure illustration and art-ridden shit in terms of his manga. So, this, this Bleach has a base layer of, has a base layer coming into it of um, an amazing pop art sense of composition and illustration on top of having a really strong set of things that it as a story does. And then you bring in the animation angle. And what they did with the animation angle, it not just apply motion to this thing, but, and this is really key, they added a soundtrack. And they added a soundtrack that to this day <laughs> kicks all kinds of ass. The first theme asterisk for um, Bleach is amazing. Life is like a boat is okay, but like the if it, it fits perfectly a in the in the end in the ending of the show and what the first arc deals with, and then there's the in between songs. The in between songs are amazing. I, I will probably not put an opening to this um to this show to to bleach in the beginning because there is no way I am not putting number one on the opening of this podcast. It's just it's not it's not possible. I'm not I'm not gonna not do that because it's it just there are very few times in any media where something meshes perfectly and the music and the, what's happening on screen are absolutely perfect. In Bleach, especially in the opening of Memories of Nobody, they have this driving guitar of that the first part, that's the first kind of riff of number one, which is the which is technically Ichigo's theme song, and then like smoke drifts aside and you see Ichigo like ready to fuck some shit up. And it's it's all the kinds of like badass you want out of this out of this show. And so now let's hear what what I want to talk about memories of nobody specifically. So the plot arc of Memories of Nobody is really what makes it 
so kind of interesting as a jump movie, but holy it. So before we get into the plot, I want to get something out of the way first. Shonen jump movies are really odd, and that is because Shonen jump movies are a way to get ticket movie ticket sales out of a audience out of a TV audience and what this means is is the movie cannot affect anything in the main story it needs to be a side story and it needs to be a side story that doesn't give you any characters that are left over what i mean by that is it, it can't affect anything outside of itself it can mess with the characters and you can have fun, but, like, you can't have an extra character introduced, at least so far, in a Shonen Jump movie that needs to have continuity for the rest of the show. So, basically what you have to do is you have to create a whole cast of characters that is limited and only for that movie. And what this usually looks... What this usually looks like is either you use all your main cast or you introduce an inc like an incidental cast that you can get rid of and you can brush off with the plot at the end of the movie. A great example of this, a great freaking example of this is actually a like truly amazing example of this is the, I forget what it's called. Um, the movie about Naruto and Hinata falling in love. I, and what that movie does, and this is really fascinating, is it talks about the end of the Naruto universe before it, the end of like the Naruto proper show and like storyline. Before it happens, and it and what's but what's amazing about this is the Naruto and Hinata like I think it's like Naruto love something, um, seeks to like fuck with the past, like the past of Naruto in a way that requires a lot of like. A lot of bullshit and, like, just taking things as they will because you, like, are told one version of the past in the show proper. Like, in the original Naruto show, not even Naruto Shippuden. Like, in the original Naruto show, you're told one version of the past. And then, like, years, like, two decades later, you're told this other version and, like... Part of you is just like, oh, okay, we're doing this. This is this is not gonna go. Whatever, just pour it into my face. I, I like I paid for a ticket. Pour it into my face. And memories of nobody doesn't do that. But and also in um that in the Naruto movie they use like a new secret evil villain, but they also use that goes away by the end of the movie. But they also use the entire original cast of Naruto. So you get to see all your characters on big on the big screen. And you get to see all of them, like, interact with each other. And it's a, like, fulfilling thing. But it also is total fluff. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, and, but what happens is, once the movie's done, it's done. And you can, and that experience exists as this, like, other thing that the character did, but they never talk about. If that makes any sense. And so that's really what jump movies are. They are these fluff they are these fluff adventure pieces that the characters can go on like they're going on adventure sabbatical. And then once you turn on the TV and you watch the next episode, it's like, oh, this that was just another adventure. It was like another big episode. But the, but the difference is they'll never talk about it again because it was ineffectual. <laughs> and in Bleach, where they have so 
was the story of Bleach because it became so popular so quickly and, like, had to sustain itself so quickly, it doesn't... It really doesn't matter because they rewrite all sorts of insane shit even before this movie happens, I should point out. And then, after that, this movie happens and all that stuff happens. But what... Memories of Nobody does that is really amazing is it gives you a a melancholy ending and we'll get to the we'll get to the ending and spoiler alert if you haven't seen Memories of Nobody I know you can rent it right now on um Amazon Prime because that's what I did I think I also have it from my bad days I'm just not sure because I haven't booted up the server in a while um but what Memories of Nobody does is a, it, it has a melancholy, like, slightly sad but hopeful ending. But B, it does what Bleach does best. And that is Dandel Distress Rescue. So if you have seen a lot of Bleach, as I'm sure a lot, every, lots of people listening have, you know that the first arc, the... Soul Society Rescue Arc, or Rukia Rescue Arc, the way I always think about it. The Rukia Rescue Arc is the most, like, iconic, awesome part of Bleach. After that, there's some plot twists, plot twisty bullshit that happens, where all of a sudden, the, like... Power ceiling, ceiling is obliterated, basically, and th- you gotta go full Shonen Power, not just creep, Shonen Power vaults up and up and up and up and up in order for the show to keep up with its own story. And it, like, the power level, the power levels balloon out of control, the story goes on just, like, the most insane tangents, like the the um Arancar arc basically never finishes. It's just like, oh, we're in the desert fighting, but I wanna tell you this side story. And then that side story takes fucking two hundred episodes and just just so what I'm saying is the Rukia Rescue arc, the first arc of Bleach It's really good. It's really good. It's full of all the things Bleach does really well. And it just... It knocks it out of the park. Bar none every time. But then... A, it keeps going. But... So what... Memories of Nobody does... Is it seeks to tell... A... Truncated version of... The Rukia Rescue Arc. Complete with, like, big evil bad guy, evil bad guy henchmen, that, but enough, with enough evil bad guy henchmen, I should note, where all your, like, favorite captains and favorite characters are included in the final fight, and they're all, like, they all get their moments of, like, well-animated fucking kicking people's asses, and it's, it's a, so, uh, one thing you'll notice about this movie is that it is amazingly well animated. It, it is well animated in a way that I, I always forget, because I've seen this movie a bunch of times, because I do like it, not just for the story, but primarily for the animation. And I should also mention the reason I'm choosing to do Memories of Nobody now is because it's a really nice, like, fall-themed movie, if that makes any sense. And that... How should I put this? That's not super common in anime. In anime, we get lots of stuff in the winter, and we get lots of stuff in the summer and spring. Fall is just, like, not a thing you think about, and this movie was, and God bless whoever, like, thought this movie up and was like, no, fuck them, we're doing it in the fall. We're not doing another shit. Like, we already have a character 
and Byakuya, who is like, look at my cherry blossoms, watch them murder you. Which He has an amazing intro in this movie. Um, but, it, they're just like, no, fuck it. We're, fuck it, we'll do it in fall. And so, the movie opens up where there's just this park, and it's the middle of fall, and all the ginkgo leaves are like this beautiful, pale, pastel, but bright yellow coating this park. And then you see Rukia and Ichigo run in and fight Hollow, and then he does a sending on this child who's, whose soul the Hollow was after, and... It flo- so, this is really interesting, to me at least. The difference between cinema-quality anime and TV-quality anime. So, in TV-quality anime, there's lots of still frames. There's not really that much animation. The, the best thing I like to use is, if you've ever watched... The best comparison, I would say, is if you've ever watched Trigun. If you've ever watched Badland Rumble and the Trigun TV show. Badland Rumble is beautiful. It is beautiful. The Trigun TV show is an anime where nothing moves. <laughs> if you think you're crazy, go watch that show. Not Like, nothing moves in, like, a really unique fluid way, but then you watch Battleland Rumble, and it's this beautiful, has this crazy budget, and they're going for it. Bleach is often the same way. It, the movies have these beautiful action scenes, but they also have these scenes that are just animators flexing on the audience, just like, hey, what if we open this movie with a dog Sniffing at a fish eye at the fish eye lens of the camera for no reason other than atmosphere, and it's amazing. They also have every so often there's these like dreamlike sequences with Ichigo in them, and it's just the the animation is flawless in this movie. It, I think the worst it gets is the like jokey scene where he's beating the shit out of Cone, but it, it's. It's, for the most part, really well animated. Um, and that's the first thing you'll notice once it's mo- once the movie starts. You're like, holy shit, this is a movie. This isn't the t- a TV episode. This is a movie. This isn't even a TV special. This is a movie. And one of the best ways you can see that is when Ichigo does the sending that brings you up into, that ultimately brings you to the title... He does ascending, and then you follow the soul up into the sky. But the way they do it isn't like you're centered on the soul. The way they do it is the soul goes up, and as it starts to reach the top of the screen, the the whole shot pans out until you see all the fall colors in this park and all and all of the um, town Ichigo lives in, and you just, you notice the soul just shining as it floats up as it's going to the Soul Society. And then you meet, and then eventually, I'm not going to go point by point, because what's really interesting about this movie is because it is, if you've seen Bleach, if you've seen the first arc of Bleach, the Rukia rescue arc, then you know what this movie... You know what this movie is. It is a damsel in distress dress rescue movie. And that damsel in question is this girl named Senna, who is the Shinenju, which is a the compacting of a bunch of blank soul of former souls, memories into one thing that returns to the world of the living. And they also make her a soul reaper. 
Um, and they use... But the way they introduce her is all of a sudden she releases her Bankai, which is her fancy spirit sword that has multiple form. And it's this tornado of maple leaves, of like deep red and deep red and orange and yellow maple leaves that like unleashes on this like horde of these things called blanks, which are essentially souls that have lost their way when traveling to the soul from the human world to the soul society, and they inherit they should be at least in this place called the Valley of Screams, which is a great ass name. Um and then you and then ultimately she becomes this like dental distress because you find out that these big bad guys are trying to use the Valley of Screams as a as a vacuum to bring the Soul Society and the World of the Living crashing into each other, causing basically both of them to disintegrate. Um, but in this, in in doing this, they once. Ichigo and what Ichigo and the gang basically find this out. You get to see all, and so I should point out that the key thing for these movies is there are a chance for all the fans to see all their favorite characters in one on on the big screen, and what that means is every character in the show in the main cast needs to get some amount of screen time, meaning, and also needs to have their, like, gag played out, or their current gag played out in front of you, so you could be like, oh, I know that! That's why I paid for a ticket! And so you get, um, Ichigo's dad, a notable member of my Mommy and Daddy Hate You panel, um, you get Ichigo's two twin sisters, you get Orihime, um, you get Chad, you get you get all the characters. You get all the you get all the main cast to that who had been introduced to that point of the show get some form of screen time, even if they're only seen in a still pose in the back, just so the because these movies are designed, and that's probably why Memories of Nobody is done in the mold of the Rukia rescue arc of being a damsel in distress rescue thing. These movies are designed to be fan service. They, they are, they're designed to sell tickets and to be side stories that are literally just like, wouldn't this be cool if you saw these characters do, was like doing it kind of thing. Not doing it, but, um, although, once, spoiler alert for the end of Bleach, if you know anything about the end of Bleach, you know that Orihime and Ichigo fuck and they make a kid. <laughs> like, like, Orihime and Ichigo shack up. <laughs> Which always made me happy, because from Ichigo, from Orihime's introduction, I'm always like, well, Rukia and Ichigo, like, hang out. But they're like friends who are assholes to each other. Or he and Ichigo. They 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 end up together, right? <laughs> um, which it like this see, seeing this movie gives like new connotation to like seeing Orihime on screen because you're like, oh, that's Ichigo's future wife. That's weird. Um But basically that's what these movies are. They are fan They are fan. They are vehicles of fan service. They are there to serve the purpose of getting all the, your favorite characters on screen, letting you like sink into the into the theater seat and like live in that show for however long, like an hour forty five minutes. I think the movie is around there. Um, and then you get out and you can go home and you can watch the next episode whenever it comes up whenever it comes up on simulcast or whatever. But, basically, we meet Senna, who, is, who you find out is the Shinenju, which, is, again, is the 
like compacted memories of all these blank souls. And the plot rushes to turn her from this mani- manic pixie dream girl character into a damsel in distress. And once the dan- once they're done doing all these like odd, odd but really interesting slice of life moments, which are partially just there so you can like live with the characters, you can live with the world, and you can hang out with Ichigo and Senna and Rukia and blah 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 blah. But they're also there to endear you to Senna because the thing about Senna is she isn't. She isn't a human, she isn't a soul reaper, she's not, she is a thing, she is a natural occurrence, basically. She is, like, she is a lightning storm in the middle of the ocean, basically. She's just like a natural occurring phenomena that that shouldn't exist in the way she does, but does. Um... And also normally exists and nobody notices. And then you get into, like, the triumphant, like, let's go save Senna, like, thing. And you see all these, all of your favorite characters. You see um, Sochiro, you see um, my, not my, anyway. Um, I just said a King of Fighters character. But, um, you see, what's their face? Um, Ranjiku, who I'm staring at a figure of. If you know anything about Ranjiku, you're like, oh, yeah, that tracks. Confusing it with my, like, tits on tits. Hey. Um, you see Rukia, you see Byakuya, you see, um, Kenpachi. <laughs> who, just, uh, just an aside, I love that Kenpachi is not a good person. Like, he's not a good guy. He's just a fucking psycho. And so the thing about Bleach that Bleach does really well is that it removes the need for its, like, heroes, for, like, the heroic cast of characters to be good people. Because, yes, they have a sense of justice and a sense of what's right and wrong, but they also, there are also, with the exception of Ichigo, who at this point, at, this, at the point this movie is, is also a, a representation of the man. They are the people keeping the gears running of the machine of the universe, basically. So, they don't have to be good people. They can be Kenpachi-level fucking sociopaths who just, like, literally fly like a wrecking ball and just fuck shit up. As long as, like, you release that wrecking ball in the right direction, it's fine. Nobody cares. <laughs> um, but, so you get, like, you get Kenpachi, you get Sochiro, you get, um, Ranjiku, you get, uh, Soifan. You get basically ev- everybody in this movie. You, you, you meet everybody in this movie and they're, like, superpowers, except that you would really care about. Except for um, Urahara. And the reason you don't meet Urahara is because I don't think... I think by um, the movie, whatever, it got black in the title. You've met Urahara as, like, a soul reaper. And you know what his powers are. So it's not... So by this point in the Bleach universe, you don't know that... um his, you don't know what his Zanpakuto's name is, you don't know where it is, you don't know the full deal with him. You know some of it, I think, but I'm pretty sure you don't know Urahara's full deal. Other than he's got a hat, which, uh, one of which I have in my closet. Um, but, you meet the whole, like, cast of characters that you're familiar with, they have this, like, hauntingly awesomely timed intro for Byakuga Kuchiki where just like this guy like this bad guy's fighting and then they 
cut to a different character. They cut to a um, the the fat guy's fighting Rukia, and all of a sudden he's Rukia. You think Rukia's beaten him, and then there's like millions of him. Like he splits into million different ver different clones of himself, and like she backs off, and then from like the left side of the screen you see just like luminescent cherry blossom petals float by and you hear this like mysterious the mysterious like synthy music that Bleach does for Byakia and you're like oh he's here and he's gonna fuck this guy up and all nine of this dude are dead now and you just see the swords come out from the ground and then explode into cherry blossoms as they take him. And just, like, how should I put this? Without being, because I've realized I've built myself up to crazy Alex very quickly here. Bleach Memories of Nobody is what a Shonen Jump movie should be. It is like the crystallized perfection of the show. It is a show at its highest highs at basically all times. They do everything that the show does that's funny and interesting and cool just for the entire runtime. So if you're at all interested in Bleach, even if you don't want to watch Bleach itself, but you have some passing understanding of it, I encourage you to go check out Memories of Nobody, because it is that show at its highest highs. Um, I think, I, th I think the next, the second movie is called Paint It Black, or something. I, that one I remember being okay, but Memories of Nobody is really like, that, Memories of, the Memories of Nobody movie is a high point in the Bleach universe, because... It seeks to do the good arc, which is the Rukia rescue arc, and be at the top of its game for the entire time. I think the only annoying thing in it is Ichigo kicking the shit out of Cone. <laughs> which, even the movie is like, wait, 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 don't fucking do that. We got serious shit. Like, let's not fall into bullshit TV bullshit. What the fuck are those things? That I'm seeing on my like weird spirit radar that I have on my flip phone. We should go check this out. This doesn't seem right. Because if that's hollows, we're fucked. <laughs> and so they they just the the whole movie, once again, is bleach at its highest tithe at all times. So with that said, I'm gonna cut off here because I really wanna play more cool ass bleach music at the end of this. But, actually, I'm not going to cut it off here, because I want to talk about the ending of this movie. So, oftentimes, the endings are just kind of like happy, and Shonen Jump movies are kind of happy, jump-for-joy endings that you can just quickly move on from. Memories of Nobody does something interesting, though. It, it, it wants you to, I think, almost do on the fact that none of this matters, that none of this will, that this is supposed to fade from your memory by the next time, by the next time you watch the show, because it will fade from the character's memory, because what they say about Senna is that she never existed, so you can never remember her, so you, so you can never remember her after she's gone, and what Ichigo says to that is, he's like, I'm fine with that. It, because of a plot reason, Senna vanishes. Senna evaporates. Soul evaporates, basically. Um, to save everybody. And that... So... If there's one thing that is negative that came over to this movie from Bleach, it is the treatment of the damsel in distress character, if you will. It is, and I know I just said I was going to wrap it up, but I'm going on another tangent, but hey, you, you signed up for this podcast, you know what you got. Um, 
in the Rukia rescue arc, what happens to Rukia's character is she is just strong. At first, she is a strong-willed, very talented, very intelligent female side character. Like, female sidekick, basically. She is more talented and more intelligent than Ichigo is, even at Ichigo's best. But because they need her to fill a role, <clears throat> they press and mold her character into this box of this demure helpless girl who needs to be rescued by the big, strong man. <clears throat> and as a, you know, teenage, as a kid, as like a prepubescent, preteen, early teenager, you kind of don't notice that because the entire time you're being like fed a steady diet of like badassery and like fucking nonsense sword fights and a lot of the number one theme, Ichigo's main theme, which is number one, once again, you heard at the beginning of the episode. And you don't kind of notice that, and if you are paying attention enough, you do kind of notice, like, this is a weird character turn for her. And what happens to Senna is much the same in a compressed area. It is, And this would be, I think, the one turn-off that I think the movie would offer if you have any passing interest in shonen anime. Um, although I don't think it's a deal-breaker, because lots of shonen anime does just this. Um, the Naruto movie I mentioned at the top of the podcast does this. Um, basically all of them do this. But... It just, it strips away this, like, manic pixie dream girl personality that they've done a lot of work to, like, build Senna with. And it turns her into this, like, meek, helpless girl. And I, I just, I just don't think that that's, I don't think that it's helpful. I don't think that it's necessary. You can have... A strong character. And also, the thing I think about the, like, helpless girl narrative is that you can have a strong female character that allows you to have stronger villains, if that makes any sense. Because if you look at, um, and I don't want to, god damn it, I'm gonna have to do it. Of course, of course, somehow talking about Bleach gets me to Black Clover. If you look at Black Clover, and you look at Mare, Mare, Leo, Mare Leona, who is just like fucking angry, fucking powerful, insane female badass, they you they use her to the effect that she should be used to, because it's not like they beat her. They never beat her. They just pound her until she's unconscious and she's just like still standing there like oh fuck we better hope she stays unconscious cause if she wakes up she's gonna murder us and that allows you to have this rah rah moment the way you would for shonen action hero except not only for a female shonen action show side character, but also for the bad guys, because you start to feel bad for the bad guys. It's a weird, it's like one of the few accomplishments that Black Clover ever had, <laughs> but it's interesting. Um, so, I mean, that's where I land on, like, the way they treat Senna's character, but the way they use that at the end is this really touching moment where you see that somehow Senna's body now has a new soul in it and it's just this like moment of Ichigo all of a sudden remembering like oh my god I can't believe I forgot Senna I'm happy her body like is around in the world and it's just so before I go I want to talk about one last thing and I talked about this probably a little in the Eureka 7 episode, which you can listen to in the podcast feed. 
But what I want to talk about is kind of the representation of Buddhism in anime. Because Bud Buddhism is a really odd... Is a very unique and specific East Indian, Far East Asian religion at this point. And there's lots of Buddhist symbolism happening in parts of this show, of, of this movie. Of the show Bleach in general, but specifically in this movie. The, um, the gate... The gate that appears around Senna is a tradition when she's captured is a traditional Buddhist shrine gate. The wheel that's in back of her is the um I forget what it's called. It's the I think it's a it's a chakra wheel, and I, I believe it. I think I paused it at one point when I was watching it once, and it has I think a hundred and eight spokes to it. Um, which is the full range of the Buddhist, like, chakra wheel. And the idea at the end of this is that the past is impermanent, live in the now, and more than that, reincarnation is possible. It's a very Buddhist thing to have happen, and it's really interesting to see a movie that is such a object of pop culture and a pop culture of a time use those tropes and use them pretty effectively. And on that note, now that I've flipped all the way into talking about Buddhism about in an anime podcast, I've gone full weeb and should probably shut it down. So if you like this podcast, um look you can subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening to it. I'm on all of them. You, I would appreciate it if you're listening on iTunes to leave a review. I think I only have one. If you could leave a five-star review, I'd be even more appreciative. Um, and I will see you... I, if you're wandering around at Anime NYC next month, definitely say hi. I'll be wandering around in the crowd with you somewhere. I look forward to seeing... At, Anybody who comes up to say hi to Amy on my feet.